exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hamlety. Here we are at episode 60. I can't believe we've gotten this far. And without wanting to be a tease, I have to say that we have to include something of another insert this week. The text to cover is a little bit over our normal 20 lines, as we've reached another of the few segments that were omitted from the quarto but included in the folio. The last such passage was left out, perhaps for fear of offending England's Danish Queen. This one has more to do with contemporary theatre politics, as we shall see. The last episode was called The Tragedians of the City, although interestingly enough, Shakespeare doesn't go so far as to specify what city it is. For a London audience, the original audience for this play, any reference to the city could likely be inferred as a reference to London, in the same way that in Dublin, when we discuss going into town, there's only one town we mean, or when Japanese people talk about the old capital, they only ever mean Kyoto, despite the number of cities that have been the nation's capital through the millennia. The tragedians of the city have been forced to hit the road, due most likely to the late innovation of companies made up of exclusively child actors. Hamlet is curious to hear how his company has been doing. Do they hold the same estimation they did when I was in the city? Are they so followed? In other words, do they still have the same following that they had when he was last in the city? Again, Shakespeare leaves it open. For any sticklers in the audience, of course, Hamlet might just mean a city in Denmark. But we've had so many little nods to London theatres, through this scene in particular, and indeed to the theatre in which the play is happening, that it's just as easy to infer that Hamlet is really talking about London theatre. Rosencrantz has to point out that, no, indeed, are they not? The company isn't doing quite as well. Hamlet is curious and wonders why this might be. How comes it? Do they grow rusty? Even the greatest theatre companies in the world can go through cycles in which their work isn't on a par with their best. Evidently this is not new, and I must say I love this description from Hamlet. The idea of a great troupe going rusty, a phrase that we get from here, is so perfectly evocative. Interestingly, according to Rosencrantz, this isn't the problem. Nay, their endeavour keeps in the wanted pace, but there is, sir, an eerie of children, little ayases, that cry out on the top of question, and are most tyrannically clapped for it. These are now the fashion, and so berattle the common stages, so they call them, that many wearing rapiers are afraid of goose quills, and dare scarce come thither. No, he says, their work is just as good as ever literally maintaining their usual rhythm or wanted pace. But the trouble is, there is a nest of children who are making more noise than anyone else and are tyrannically clapped for it. It's very interesting that Shakespeare suggests that these young actors are like young birds of prey. His image is of that of the eerie, an eagle's nest, and he calls those inside it little iasses, literally young hawks. Remember hawks. We will meet this word soon enough. There's a whole lot woven into the next line, so we'll unpack it bit by bit. These young performers are now the fashion, and they make such a point of berattling or insulting the common stages that many young men, the kind of gents who wear rapiers, 
are afraid of the sharpened quills of the playwrights and scarce come near the theatre. Did you get all that? The boy players were very fashionable, but they played in the smaller indoor theatres. These were typically more expensive than the outdoor theatres like the Globe, and the latter were disparagingly called the common stages. Rosencrantz is smart enough to distance himself from this. He insists that it's the boy players that use the term common stages. Not least because the actor saying this line was standing on one of them. And because the playwrights used their goose quills to make such mockery of the rapier-wielding young men for attending the common stages, the theatre troupe that is about to visit Hamlet is now suffering because the men are staying away. Here's the full text again, so you can hear it with all of this in mind. But there is, sir, an eerie of children, little Iasus, that cry out on the top of question, and are most tyrannically clapped for it. These are now the fashion, and so berattle the common stages, so they call them, that many wearing rapiers are afraid of goose quills and dare scarce come thither. Hamlet is fascinated at this. What? Are they children? Who maintains it? How are they escorted? Will they pursue the quality no longer than they can sing? Will they not say afterwards, if they should grow themselves to common players, as it is most like if their means are no better, their writers do them wrong to make them exclaim against their own succession? Interestingly, Hamlet's first question is for the children's welfare. Who provides for them? Who looks after them? He then wonders if there's a career for them after their voices break. The tradition was that boy players, who most often played female roles because their treble voices were of a higher pitch, had to stop once their voices broke. So Hamlet wonders what these boy players will do once this happens. Will they pursue the quality, continuing in the profession? Then Shakespeare asks a very valid question. If they do try to become adult actors and therefore try to join an adult company, will they not be somewhat compromised by having had so many negative things to say against the common stages. Right now I should point out that Richard Burbage, the actor who first played Hamlet, was the de facto landlord of the theatre at Blackfriars, where one of the most successful companies of boy players had their home. As head of the Lord Chamberlain's men, and their landlord, isn't it rather fun to imagine a little spin in these lines as he performed them? It's almost like a veiled threat. Whatever will these chirping little hawks do when they are looking for work as adult actors and their playwrights have spent so long putting insulting words in their mouths? As well as this potentially ironic passage, I must mention another whole situation that was unfolding in London at the same time. This was the so-called War of the Theatres, the skirmish of wits between Ben Jonson, who would have been the greatest playwright of the day had there not been a Shakespeare, and his rivals Thomas Decker, John Marston and Thomas Middleton. Thanks to the bishop's ban of 1599, satire was prohibited in any printed prose or verse. It was not, however, prohibited on stage, and a whole sequence of plays seems to have developed in which these men, listed above, took potshots at each other through drama. Some were performed by adult companies, some by children. The arguments of the plays presumably echo the situation Rosencrantz has just described. Shakespeare seems to have managed to avoid the fray, but the next lines that come in our play do seem to be a comment on the whole situation. Rosencrantz continues, Faith, there has been much to do on both sides, and the nation holds it no sin to tar them to controversy. There was, for a while, no money bid for argument unless the poet and the player went to cuffs in the question. He says, 
there's been a whole lot of carrying on from both sides, and the nation has no problem inciting to them this controversy or argument. Warring playwrights, after all, rather entertaining. He concludes that for a while no play was accepted for performance, money bid for argument, unless the poet and the player were involved in violent disputes fighting about it. It's all terribly dramatic indeed. Once again, it's worth mentioning that it would have been Burbage playing Hamlet and speaking these lines in his theatre, when he asked the mused, Is it possible? If this is Shakespeare's wry comment on the whole situation, it's pretty funny. Why are they bothering? Guildenstern, who has been silent for several weeks now, finally gets a line again. Oh, there has been much throwing out of brains. There has been a great deal of mental effort expended in this whole merry war. Of course, Hamlet wants to know the lie of the land, and he's curious to see who might have the upper hand. He asks, do the boys carry it away? In other words, are the child actors doing better business? Rosencrantz concludes, Aye, that they do, my lord. Hercules and his load, too. Yes, he says, the children are doing very well. The line ends with a reference to Hercules and his load. As you'll remember, I hope, <laughs> way, way back in Act 1, we had a reference to Hercules, and I mentioned that the globe's insignia included an image of Hercules shouldering the globe. So Shakespeare seems to be conceding here that the child actors are doing so well that they are beating even Hercules and his globe. Depending on whether there's a semicolon or a dash in your text of the play right here, there might even be a case to argue that perhaps Rosencrantz is slyly nodding to the globe and actually saying that the children are prevailing in the war of the theatres and doing good business, as are Hercules and his load at the globe. This is all pretty enthusiastic on my part, but perhaps a little tenuous. The important thing is that these lines were not included in the quarto. Remember Queen Anne, the Danish lady for whose sensibilities the lines about Denmark being a prison were removed? Well, guess what? She was also a patron of the boy players, and so perhaps the references to their shenanigans and quarrels were considered inappropriate and likewise redacted. Somebody, someday, should write the book about Queen Anne's influence on the theatre at the time. I'd certainly love to read it. But that's plenty for me for now. We will return to the full text next week for more discussion of the travelling players. They are coming soon, I promise, from whatever city you like to think. There is more information on the War of the Theatres on the website. You know what it is by now, I'm sure. And I'll speak to you next week.